0: Just a quick message to our audio listeners of the Manchester's Red podcast. One of our microphones malfunctioned during part two of the recording. So please accept our apologies for the slight white noise you may hear on Richie's mic throughout part two. We have fixed it as best we can, but I just wanted to give you the heads up just so you didn't think there was something wrong with your headphones. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host, Rich Fay, joined by Tyrone Marshall. On today's show, we will look ahead to United's trip to face Luton in the Premier League this weekend. We'll look at the changes off the field for United. I suppose we will have to talk about Kylian Mbappe as well at some point, won't we? <laughs> you definitely uh, need to talk about Kylian Mbappe. Uh, Ty, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you, Rich. I'm good. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm not too bad. We were joking before we came on there that it was it was good that that Mbappe news dropped before, uh, sorry, after Ten Hog's press conference because. He would have been asked about it. Should we just kill it straight away? Or, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because United's stance used to always be if there's a superstar available, we'll at least be in the market for them, we'll at least consider them as, as a player. Can you say Mbappe playing for United next season?
1: No. For a variety of reasons. I mean, I think everyone knows he's going to go to Real Madrid. Um, they said the same about Donny van de Beek. They did, yes, famously. I think they're a little bit different in terms of stature. I can't see Kylian Mbappe ending up at Eintracht Frankfurt on loan in a few years. And
0: of course, Mbappe's not Dutch either, is he? So that, he's not. That's No, no, he not no he's never
1: played for Ajax. No. So, you know, he's, he's no Rasmus he, he Hoyland. He didn't
0: have a loan spell at Vitesse either, did no, he, so. No,
1: I think Rasmus Hoyland is, is, is the, the better, younger centre forward. Now, I think everyone knows he's going to Real Madrid. I mean, the. The Premier League team that seems to be linked with him most often is Liverpool. I, I can't see that, never mind United.
0: Especially with Klopp leaving as well, like he's it's quite uncertain whether he yeah he's I guess it is yeah yeah tournament. I mean
1: Salah could go. It'd be a obviously be a very good replacement for Salah, but I just I don't I don't see that happening. I think it's always, well, It's obviously always been his dream to play for Real Madrid. I mean United's biggest issue is finance. They couldn't you know they couldn't afford to sign any old striker on loan in the summer. You know in, uh, in January, sorry. They signed fruit Vegorst on two years ago. I don't think they could even afford to have done that this January. If they don't get in the Champions League, they won't be able to sign Kylian Mbappe's brother, never mind Kylian Mbappe. So I just I don't think they've got the money to pay to pay those sort of wages that he's going to want, unfortunately.
0: would be very united if they signed Ethan Mbappe and Job Bellingham, wouldn't it, instead and say double announcement and get the shirts printed. Uh, I suppose there's another aspect though is that you know, PSG have shown historic interest in, in s Marcus Rashford. His future still is an interesting one, because I thought at, at Villa Park last weekend he did a lot well, but his end product was lacking again. It was timely, you know, that he was the one substitute for Scott McTominay who went on to, to win the game. Rashford is sort of third in the pecking order behind Hoyland and Garnacho in and those attacking power rankings as well. I'm still sceptical on what will happen with Rashford because, you know, Sir Jim Ratcliffe has said he wants to have homegrown players at United and if you're selling an academy product straight away it might be good for FFP I'm just not sure that sets out the right sort of message but you know, PSG will be looking to replace Mbappe do you think Rashford could leave for someone? do you think PSG is the most likely destination if he did?
1: I think there's a decent chance of that I mean obviously PSG have, have had interest in Rashford for a while obviously there was his brothers meeting with PSG execs in 2022 which, which didn't go down very well at United and with with some in Rashford's camp, to be fair, um, you know, at, at his time, at a time when his form had been terrible, I think he scored five goals the previous season. It was not not a good look, and kind of sums up the the PR missteps that that are involved sometimes around around Rashford. Um, but I, you know, like I say, not brilliant at Villa last weekend, but I think he's imp- he's improving at the moment, and like I say, he is, you know, he's there. Um, like the gold star basically of that academy at the moment he's the poster boy of that academy if they had to sell someone for FFP purposes I think I still think it'd be McTominay ahead of Rashford um, I, I don't see even maybe
0: yeah get, uh, like, yeah it's difficult isn't it yeah. yeah I
1: don't see a scenario where they're like openly selling Rashford and PSG would have to make an incredible offer I think like maybe 100 million plus for United to even Even though he's had a poor
0: moment. season, it's not like it's going to be a fire sale, it's going to be 20 million for Rashford. You look, like you say, it'd probably be a club record sale of 100 million sort of area for him because what he brings, and you've got to remember as well, it is not what fans want to hear sometimes, but he's a very marketable asset as well, isn't he? It's not just the footballer that you get at your club. He'd be a top shirt seller, someone with a lot of social profile as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's a big name footballer on and off the pitch for, for the things he did during the pandemic and, and taking on the government over free school meals and stuff like that. He is, he is a big name on and off the pitch. I mean, it'd be a huge signing for someone like PSG. You can see why they'd go for it and the attraction of having an England international in that squad. But I also, I don't think the challenge at PSG is anywhere near as enticing as, as United, especially for a United fan. I mean, it's-
0: And you've also got to look from Russia's point of view. It'd be, why would you want to leave United right now when it's finally looking like it's gonna be exciting again? Yeah, you've, had, exactly. you've, you've stuck with them through the nitty gritty OK, that's part of the reason why you got your chance in the first place, because the sort of mismanagement of the club was why you were thrown in. But, you know, he would feel like he really had unfinished business at Old Trafford, wouldn't he, if he left as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, he'll, he's, he's been here so long now, I think he'll want to win things. He must feel like the club is on the up. He's, you know, last season was so good for him scoring 30 goals that he's kind of been allowed to struggle a bit this year. His place has never been under threat on, on the left. At all, really. I mean, Ganacho is putting some pressure on him, but that sorted itself out now with Ganacho doing so well on the right. So, and like I say, I think his form has been improving in recent weeks. So, I, you know, I, I can't see a scenario where United would, would consider selling him this summer, even if PSG did come call him.
0: Yeah, so next season, Mbappe's at Real Madrid, Rashford's playing for United. That's what we kind of expect. Movement off the pitch is what will be interesting United fans the most. Obviously, you did the line as well. On Thursday, that you know United are prepared to wait to appoint Dan Ashworth, and they are also interested in having Jason Wilcox as part of their new structure as well. I mean, what is the latest on that? Would you expect both of them to end up at Old Trafford from you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think it's pretty likely. I mean, there's been no there's been no approach to Newcastle or Southampton yet.
0: This is we're going this Friday morning. Friday morning as well. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the Newcastle one is strange. I, can't really work out why there hasn't been an approach, but it's obviously to Especially do.
0: Especially if there's this gardening leave, sure you want to get it as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, well I think I think so. I think the gardening leave is going to be dependent on what United pay. Yeah. I mean Rush um, <laughs> Ashworth yeah. could hold, hand in his notice and serve whatever gardening leave is in his contract, whether that's a year or whatever. Or United could pay 10 million and he could start in a month, maybe. And and it's also I find that a
0: really compelling part of it, isn't it? Because. You say six to ten million, maybe, to get Ashworth. If that's a player, that's a bargain. And yeah. you look at the the impact he could have at the club. That why would you not just pay as much as you can to get him in if he if he really is that much of a coup? Because you know you'd pay that on on getting a, a squad player.
1: Yeah, I mean you probably would. I mean, has a, I can't imagine. Can't, I can't recall any technical director being worth millions of pounds previously. No. And I think United also feel this idea of like a ten million pound asking price is basically Newcastle trying to solve some of their own. FFP issues. I mean we've talked about, you know, the Premier League's profit rules and how selling players whose fee has been amortized is is great news. I mean that works for the sporting director. Newcastle don't know anything on Ashworth. If they bank to 10 million, that's pure profit. That's yeah. that helps our, our issues. And I think I think United feel there's a sense that Newcastle are trying to play them a bit for that and, and damage United's own FFP issues.
0: And there's also the element of this summer United want to enforce their new reputation as well. And if you've already been taken by mugs by Newcastle and given into their demands, it kind of undermines everything you're trying to do anyway.
1: Exactly, exactly. I I mean, they are prepared to wait. I can't see them waiting a year, kind of pointless to wait a year. They are adamant they will wait a year, but it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's it's pointless waiting a year, really. So I I think it will happen. Obviously, we know Barada is starting in the summer. There's been no change to that. I would think Ashworth will start by the summer at the very latest, if not earlier. And I think that, I think Ineos see it as priority was chief executive, done. Next priority, sporting director, in process. They've clearly got the candidate. He wants the job. United want him. It's, it's a matter of time really until Done Ashworth done. And then it's building this team around Ashworth. And I think although Barada's on gardening leave, United have spoke to him enough in discussions around the job to know what he wants. I wouldn't be surprised if he's put Jason Wilcox's name forward they had a really good working relationship at City, apparently. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Barada has mentioned Wilcox maybe in discussions around the job, or if Ashworth has even mentioned him. And then it's building this team around Ashworth. So Wilcox is going to head up recruitment, by the sounds of things. Then there'll be other there'll be other people, I guess, in in other areas. I think I think we might see more stories over the next few months about people that United are targeting. But it is. I've written a piece today, I mean, it's such a contrast to what the Glazers have done. You know, since 2013, the first eight years, they just sat back and said to Sir Alex, yeah, you run the club. Yeah. And then, after that, they've had to make decisions. They've appointed two chief executives, both internally, whose strength was in commercial. They appointed a football director, internally, a technical director, internally. You know, the most high-profile external job they've ever appointed is probably Dominic Jordan as as head of data science or something like that, beyond the manager. And Ineos have been here for eight weeks, they've poached a CEO from City, they're poaching a sporting director from Newcastle, they're bringing in someone well thought of at recruitment, he's at Southampton at the moment, but he did a good job at academy level at City. You know, they're, they're showing more in eight weeks than the yeah. Glazers have done in years, that ambition really. ambition as well. I mean, that ambition. I
0: suppose, not that they would be listening, but Man City fans will be saying, look, you're just trying to copy what we've done, as it's, it's far as you said than done. I, I know Pep said that after the Barada coup as well, didn't he? He said, look... You know, it's not just him. You know, what did he say? Build him a statue if, if Berardo is the man who single-handedly sort of turns United around. And, you know, having these, play, having these big, I guess, big players at uh, sort of boardroom level doesn't mean United start playing tiki-taka football and go win the treble next season, does it? There is a, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But United fans can only be positive right now, can't they? Because you've yeah. got to remember, even at the time of Ratcliffe's investment was f- first made public, Lots of fans were sceptical of him because, look, he was working with the Glazers, not against the Glazers, and he had a lot of work to do to win them over, but, you know, I don't want to be doing his PR for him, but surely he must have most of the fan base on board now as well.
1: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, like you say, what he's shown in eight weeks, really, they've been to Carrington probably more times than the Glazers ever have already, making these appointments, which is more than the Glazers have ever done. I think, you know, the contrast in ambition between the two is incredible really and I, I think they've definitely got to have won fans over they're just being so proactive and you know you mentioned city fans will be saying you know you're just nicking our best people trying to be like us i think united would agree with that to be honest yeah. i think united are well aware that by taking Barada, they are they are essentially buying some of city's intelligence the same with dan ashworth you know some of newcastle's intelligence but more the intelligence that he's gathered from brighton who, you know, he's laid the foundations for a lot of what Brighton are doing now at the FA. Wilcox, yeah. the same with City, a lot of his background is City. United are well aware that, yeah, that that is why we're chasing these people. And
0: that's it's almost like, I mean, that is kind of United's transfer policy as well, isn't it? It's like, we United aren't in the position to take a gamble on a championship player or to gamble on a lower, league, lower Premier League player all the time. They want to buy these ready-made stars quite often because there's less likelihood that they'll fail. And, you know, obviously, they're not always got to go out and buy the biggest names, but by having that team who were there, proven and done it at multiple clubs, what it's—I I don't see how it's a negative at all. No, I think
1: it's—I think it's a definite positive. And like you say, I think I think City fans would would look at United and go, "You're just trying to be like us." And I think, like I say, I think United would go, "Yeah, we want we so want some of that intelligence. <laughs> yeah, we want some of that intelligence and some of what you've done. Yeah. Um, and it is a case of just getting the best in class, which is." what the Glazers have never done. Edward Woodward had never been a football chief executive. He was a banker. Yeah. Richard Arnold's well, success He was always successful. throwing the
0: Glazers, wasn't it? Look, they just want the cheap option. What's yeah. the easiest hire? Whereas yeah. these are bold, ambitious moves. Exactly. It was a
1: finance... You know, Arnold and Woodward were both learning on the job as a football chief exec. Yeah. John Murtagh is learning on the job as a football director. You know, he's... He had an, a football executive background, but in, in less high-profile roles. And then he's thrown in to be United's football director. And, you know, his... If he does leave, or if he's if he's given a new role in it, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think there should be kind of a, a recasting of his time at the club. I think he's done a pretty decent job as football director, and you know, he's pretty well respected within the game. But yeah, I think he's it, learning on the yeah. job,
0: and you have got to say his shortfalls and maybe just being in the wrong position for his skill set yeah. because he's been sort of thrown under the bus. I mean, he's not going to turn down that sort of role because why would you? It's a great opportunity for him individually, but it doesn't mean that that's the best suitable role for him, and there might be a better one elsewhere. Um, yeah, that's all for part one. Ty, before we go to part two, you you've got a are we going to get a documentary to plug?
1: Apparently we are. Yeah, yeah. I've never done a documentary before. Panorama, I think. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, how was it? You went to Broad, Broadhurst Park? Broadhurst
1: Park. It? Yes, yeah. For FC United against Vinsky FC from Paris on Tuesday. Me and producer Seb went. I've been before and done it a couple of times. They play in this, some some listeners may have, have read it in the paper um, last year. They play in this European tournament called the Fenex Trophy, which is basically a European competition for fan-owned clubs or like non-league amateur clubs or semi-pro clubs with kind of a like, like a, a cultural importance. yeah a social importance or a cultural significance. Yeah. So the team from Paris apparently are very they've got three hundred thousand YouTube followers. They're like they're like the Parisian hashtag United wow, by a, all accounts. What
0: a glowing account that is. Maybe that's where they will end up. Who possibly knows? so.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe that'd be his final move. The other team in that group is called the Krakow Dragoons. So FC United have already been to Krakow and played them. Um, They're played them. They were due to play them on a Monday night in Krakow, and there was a power cut after 20 minutes. They eventually got the power back on and they were just about to kick off, and the police turned up and said, there's a curfew, you've all got to go. <laughs> so then they all went out on the lash, had to play there. FC United were flying back the Tuesday nights, so they had to play the game at midday the next day. Um, or they played from the 20th minute before their flight, they all took bags to the stadium. 1-4-1 one, one in the end. But that team is to help immigrants in Poland. Obviously Poland has got, yeah. especially within football is quite far right. Um, so that team's got 20 different nationalities. So it's it clubs with like a cultural significance. FC United have been in it since the first year. They won it in year one, lost in the semis last year. But last year, the third and fourth place playoff in the final was at San Siro. Yeah. So FC United have played at the San Siro. Some of their fans are at the San Siro. It's a really interesting competition. So yeah, we went down on Tuesday to do a bit of a feature on it. and. Quite interesting. We're speaking to fans and the manager beforehand and a couple of the, the staff there and you know, the fans especially like, this is the friendly European yeah. competition. We go for a drink with the fans afterwards, we all socialise, we all get on it's very together. Way for it, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It like it's a contrast to the Champions League. And they're all saying, like, don't get me wrong, I love watching the Champions League, but this is different. And the organiser said, like, if United play PSG, they shake hands and go their separate ways. Like tonight the players will all have a drink and a meal yeah. afterwards and fans, if the Paris lot had bought any, would have a meal or drink and go out with each other afterwards. They're all talking about being a friendly European competition. Yeah. And then Avinsky just basically spent 90 minutes absolutely hammering, <laughs> kicking, like punching FC United players. It was one of the like nastiest games I've watched <laughs> in a long time. I mean, FC United battered them, clearly the better team. But went one nil down, and after that, I—I I mean, some of the late tackles and like the digs in the ribs and stuff like that you were incredible. Bit of it on the documentary. There was two players sent off um, after a—I was not call it a brawl, but it's basically a fight. When FC United eventually equalised, um, trying to get the ball out of the back of the net, we were stood near the coaching staff of, of Vinsky, and they just—I mean—they complained at every decision, <laughs> yeah. despite the fact some of the tackles were horrendous. And yeah, yeah. FC United eventually won four one. But yeah, there's lots of lots of sort of game footage there, but interviews with fans and like say so quite. An, an interesting story and FC United are still in Europe while well, Manchester United aren't of course.
0: Yes, you can, you can catch that documentary, is it? Na- next week it's out? I think, I think it's coming out, out next week. week. Yeah, it yeah. will be on our social channel, I'm sure we plug the podcast as well so yeah stick around for that and like I said stick around for part two where we look ahead United's trip to face Luton. Welcome back then to the Manchester is Red podcast for Manchester News. I'm Rich Fay, joined by Tyree Marshall, Luton. Then this weekend a really interesting match. There was no questions of, of Luton really. well
1: uh, oh, the there was podcast. one.
0: There was one about how difficult Kenilworth Road would be and ten Hag <laughs> In full stop. Yeah, yeah. It was, You know, same. the same referee. You know. Yeah. He, he played it down. I mean, he's played it in front of. I mean, You've not just been to Newport, do you know what I mean? Like Kenilworth Road is gonna be luxury yeah, to, yeah. to Rodney Parade. And you've got to remember during his time in Dutch football, he will have played at a lot of lower league yeah. rounds as well. But it's a compelling one because Luton obviously they lost to Sheffield United recently, but they, they tend to be in most of their home games this season. They you know they were only now beaten mm. by Arsenal right at the death. They've given a good account of themselves in the Premier League. I think they're not everyone's second favourite team, but lots of people have a soft spot for them, in what they're doing on a modest budget, a modest sort of mm. club. It's got to be far easier said than done, is not it, for United, particularly United side who
1: have been so woeful at times this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they drew, they drew with Liverpool there. They were leading against City. You know, they've had some good results there. And like I said, I think everyone admires the fight they've put up this season. I think, I think everyone expected all three promoted teams to struggle, but we all thought Luton would be bottom. And, you know, they're not bottom. And they're in with a reasonable chance of staying up. And I think, you know, I think people admire what they've done. Rob Edwards, I think, has impressed everyone as manager. Ten Hag gives stuff like this short shrift. I mean, he was asked about Newport before that game and like, you know, the FA Cup, you go into this League Two team and he was like, ah, oh, we have a cup competition in Holland. Yeah. And
0: it's just like... like I am a manager. Like, yeah, yeah. We, i,
1: I've I played, played in the cup before. Yeah. 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 Like thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I was, I was... As soon as I started doing it, I thought that might be a mistake, but it yeah. seemed to come out all right. <laughs> um, yeah, yesterday it was like, is it 11 v 11? Is the pitch size different? Are we playing without a referee? So... Yeah. Um, we'll see how his players cope with it, but it, you know, it is a bit different. It's clearly the type of stadium you're not used to in the Premier League. I can't imagine the dressing rooms are great. I can't imagine the press facilities are great. That's something the players won't have to deal with. Um, but yeah, it's a test. It's you know, Luton have have made the most of their home advantage this year. That was probably always going to be a potential strength for them, and teams have found it difficult. They're a intense team, a high energy team. Remind me a little bit of Burnley under Dice, really, with the way they make it like. Quite a horrible experience, I yeah. feel yeah. like. You've to got to buy into that,
0: haven't you? Yeah. That's your, that is your advantage.
1: You've got to buy into it and your players have got to buy into it, and they clearly do. By all accounts, Rob Edwards is someone who really gets players on side, and you know his, his players really love playing for him. So I think they have bought into it and it does feel a bit like... you know, not. I mean, Turf Moor is easy to win at now, but Turf Moor under Dyche was... A fortress,
0: wasn't
1: it? A bit of a fortress and you, you just knew going there, you knew what you'd have to do to win and you'd know that it wasn't going to be enjoyable but you're just going to have to get through it. And there's a, probably a bit of that at Kenilworth Road now, which makes it a challenge for United because, I mean, their away form has improved, to be fair, the Wolves yeah, and Villa wins. It's
0: isn't it? Because obviously the Villa win was the best away win they've ever had them to turn at yeah. really. Mm-hmm. But you look at Wolves, where they threw away two-goal leads. You look at even Newport, they threw away two-goal leads. Mm-hmm. In the end, they had that bit of class to get both games, but they could quite easily drop points. And do sense that... If I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's been as difficult, but you do sense if United win this weekend, it will be by a single goal or maybe get a, another one, like yeah. two, but like we say, we talk about how United turned the corner since that Villa game on Boxing Day, but as you pointed out, they lost to Forest Street after that. Yeah, so yeah. are you buying into this theory this and this belief that United have turned the corner, that they've got this momentum now, or do you still think they're only one game away from us all being doom and gloom
1: again? Yeah, I think they've improved. I think the attack is clicking a lot better. They're obviously scoring a lot more goals. I wouldn't say they've fully turned a corner. Um, I think I said with Stephen on, maybe on Monday, that, you know, I, I still think they're too easy to play against. T- they just give up too many shots. You know, I'm just of off the stats again. I think it was 16 against Wolves, 16 against Tottenham. West Ham had 22 shots at Old Trafford. Villa had 23 yeah, at the weekend. I wouldn't think,
0: uh, I move I've banned now, but it was, United. know, had by far, it was doing that as corner record, basically. Mm. And it's like, United actually have one of the best ratios of defending corners this season. It's just they conceded so many. So many of them, but yeah. it feels like they concede a lot. Yeah. Because they've conceded something like 160, 170 corners this season, yeah. where yeah. Arsenal conceded 50.
1: Yeah. so It's, it's crazy, crazy, really. And like, I mean, the, the shots thing has been an issue all season. I've written about it before. The number of times the opposition have 18, 20, 22, 24 shots. I mean, that's just way too many for a team with ambition to finish in the top four. Like I said on Monday, that only one of their last 14 Premier League games have kept the opposition below one XG, which is incredible, really. It means you're basically meant to concede every game. I think they will concede on on Sunday, just because I think they give the opposition too many chances. The, The way they've improved, if anything, is they're scoring enough goals to win these games now, but... I still think, you know, I said it on Monday and I still I stand by it, that if they're going to get top four or even top five, they have to improve. Not, I don't think defensively is the right word. I, I think, think it's, it's structural more yeah, than Well,
0: that's the thing, isn't it? That United's results might have improved, but they are still playing quite similar to how they played at the start of the season. Yeah. Just they now have the goals to mask those defensive frailties, yeah. which they've not always been able to do. And it's, like I said, I'm, I just don't want to get too carried away yet because, you know, it is I think one defeat away and it's all doom and blue. Yeah. Of course the away in FA Cup coming up soon as well and no big flash out of that yeah. in the treatment season and you have to ask whether you know is top, is top boys champion qualification enough of a successful season or are you turning it to Arsenal in that regard I know there's enough change of pick giving a more courage mm-hmm. going forward but that can't be the, the norm really Talking about the line at them Ken Hark's shows a doubt mm-hmm. wan and Malassia still a few weeks away so is Mason Mount. Luke Shaw was a precaution at Villa, maybe a risk they don't want to take until the Manchester Darby coming because all that such a big game for mm. to top four. Yeah, what do you make of what United do this weekend because they just, you know, they just don't look right, the best that they do, there's not much they can
1: do. Not a lot they can do. I mean, it, it's obviously slightly more than a precaution with Shaw, the fact that he's a doubt a week later. And if it was a precaution, like say, you don't really want to risk him again with such big yeah. games and coming so, up. Even if it was a precaution,
0: that Villa game was so blocking out. he wouldn't have to take him off. If some players would say he would play yeah. yeah. through yeah. it, winning, that game was so important.
1: Yeah. There's obviously, I think, a concern that his injury record is, you know, not, not great, and maybe he's vulnerable well, it to picking it up the problems. It was a saddest week that I saw,
0: but it, it includes club and country. I didn't piece on it, but, but since he joined United, which was nearly 10 years ago now, he's only been available for exactly 50% of matches. The most oh, he's about okay. in the season for both is 78%. Yeah. It was last season yeah. where, you know, I think he played 88% against United but he missed nine games for so England. knocked the percentage. Is down, so, yeah. B United, I think his highest ever season was 88%. Oh, Obviously okay. he had that horrendous double Yeah, yeah. In the second season but it's maybe the elephant in the room with Luke Shaw. but we always say when he's fit, world class but well, mm. not always a fly on anything. Maybe get the age big do they need a proper emphasis to him again yeah they've tried Talas, I've tried Malassia but he's always,
1: always well seen them off. That's, that's it I mean I mean Malassia has missed the entire season now obviously had that the, the knee operation in the summer tenar confirmed yesterday he suffered a setback um which I think is why I think they let Regolon go because they thought Malassia was going to be back and has now had this setback I mean essentially they've got one fit fullback this weekend in Dallow have not they they've got to play probably Lindelof at left back which might not be disastrous from a defensive point of view if you're expecting Luton to be quite direct. Having another big centre-half there might not be the worst thing in the world, but, you know, it affects their build-up. And I said on Monday's podcast, when you, when they add those four right-footed defenders in the second half against Filler, they find it really difficult yeah, to keep the ball too, and build any attacks. Dark, it yeah, it just looked a bit yeah, it totally changes. When when you're used to having Shaw and Martinez as left-footed options, suddenly you've got four right-footed options. I just don't think they can build the play. Yeah, there's argument well. argument
0: that Johnny Evans even... Have a good,
1: good hit. Maybe. maybe actually, yeah. Maybe having having someone who can use their left foot, who is, you know, I think he's fairly two footed. Evans, isn't he? I yeah. think he's, you know, he's, he's very underrated in that regard. So, I think you could probably play him at left back. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be against that idea. I think I still think he will probably go with Lindelof, but yeah. I, I could think I think Evans is a decent option.
0: You, um, would would you say maybe even play Dalot at left back and have someone else at right back instead? Or do you think that's a bit too much of a risk if you yeah. have two
1: players out position? Yeah, I mean, Dallow has played left-back, but I think he's clearly better at right-back. I think you know, there's an argument that you just keep keep a, a good right-back in his strongest position and just go with a makeshift left-back. I mean, Victor Lundhoff, I think, played three games at left-back earlier in the season when, when United were struggling and when Regulon was injured. So he has done it already this season. In
0: terms of your preview then for the game, finally, I mean, what, what are you expecting? Are you looking forward to Helen Road yourself as
1: yeah yeah it's going to be interesting i've been i've been before i've been at watch shrewsbury when luton and shrewsbury were in the same league it feels like a long time ago now um <laughs> so yeah i've experienced it before you've, I was,
0: you've experienced that so often posted about away end, away uh, end through, the, like the, through wheel the houses away
1: yeah is. Is
0: <laughs> yeah sunday's got to be rotten with that you'll see so many posts about this is the entrance to Luton's away end.
1: yeah 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 been there? i've been there i've experienced it i remember it yes i remember we lost um I think I've only been once, but might have more often, can't remember. Um, but yeah, I've never been in the press area, so that's gonna be interesting. I mean it's you know, it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a, a different experience. Like we say, they they've made the most of that home advantage and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a really tough game for United. Do
0: you see them winning?
1: Yeah, I think maybe 2-1, something like that. Like I say, I, I think they'll concede, but they're scoring a lot of goals at the moment. I mean Holland can't stop scoring, so maybe that, that firepower and the fact that it's clicking for them going forward might just get them over the line.
0: It. We've made a 3-1 actually. I see can see United's to get another at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah pull, pull away. But who knows what happens? We will be back next week on the Manchester Is Red podcast to, to look at what happened at Calworth Road and to look ahead. So maybe more change off the pitch for United and the next pitch which is on the horizon as well. Ty, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. No problem. And thank you very much, wherever you are in the world. A reminder, you can watch the video version of this podcast on YouTube. I believe it's also posted on our social media pages as well, Man United and the End. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.